This podcast is a publication of the Engineering Management Institute, where we are committed to building professional development systems, including project management and people leadership programs that support the growth of engineers and their firms. Download our AE Industry Trends Report for insights on the great resignation, remote work productivity, and people-centric cultures. To get your copy, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Hello and welcome to the Engineering Career Coach Podcast. In this episode, I'll be talking with Tony Chapman. He's a speaker, author, and corporate relationship expert who has been helping organizations achieve their goals through listening and leadership. We'll be talking about how engineers can define and tackle problems in a corporate setting, talking about helping people feel seen and heard, and the crucial role of listening in effective problem solving. He'll also talk a little bit about his book, The Force Multiplier, and how engineering leaders can use it to transform their teams into high-performing units. I'm your host, Jeff Perry. I'm the founder of More Than Engineering, which you can go check out at morethaneng.com. And this is the Engineering Career Coach Podcast, brought to you by EMI. This is the first podcast dedicated to helping engineers and technical professionals with both their personal and professional development. Before we go on here, I would like to give a big thank you to this week's podcast sponsor, the Society of Fire Protection Engineers. Working to engineer a fire-safe world since 1950, SFPE is the world's leading professional society for fire protection and fire safety engineering. Comprised of more than 5,100 members and growing, SFPE publishes technical resources and hosts live and on-demand education programs to provide engineers with the knowledge to protect people, structures, and communities from fire. To help engineers prepare for each year's Principles and Practice of Engineering PE Fire Protection Exam, SFPE has developed an 18-week review course that focuses on the fundamentals of fire protection engineering while preparing candidates to think critically, adapt to the exam, and be successful professional engineers. Past participants of the SFPE PE exam review course report a 90% pass rate on the exam, notably higher than the NCEES reported first-time pass rate at 74%. To learn more about SFPE or to sign up for the online review course starting this June, visit sfpe.org. That's sfpe.org. Now we'll jump into the main segment of the episode. Today I have with me Tony Chapman. Tony's a corporate relationship expert who helps organizations light up their culture. Tony, welcome to the Engineering Career Coach Podcast. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Tony, I'm excited. This whole idea of lighting up uh, culture, tell me a little bit more about that. Let's just jump right there. We came to this realization about people at work, and that realization is that what people want more than anything else is to be seen. And so when people see, they shine. The more people are seen in their organization, the more they shine. Now, I'm going to tie this to a, a buzzword of today, engagement, right? We, have, we hear engagement all of the time, but I bet most people can't actually define engagement. They can give you some characteristics of it, but what is engagement really? And I'm going to give you the Tony Chapman simple version of here's what engagement really is. Engagement is a measure of how much people care. The more they care, the more they do. The more they care, the more they take ownership. The more they care, the more they help out. All of the things that we think of when we think of engagement, emotional and rational commitment, taking ownership, all those things are functions of how much people care. 
and people care when they are seen. There's an interesting survey that was done by this group called McKinsey. They did what's called a nutrition survey. They realized that half of employees who left in 2022, 54% of them left their job because they did not feel valued or seen by their organization, and 52% because they didn't feel valued or seen by their manager. So I believe if we can create organizations where people feel seen, and we help leaders to actually help see their people, amazing things happen. Tell us a little bit more about your background and how did you get into this idea of like becoming a corporate relationship expert? Where did this come from for you? I'm probably the person that people would have thought is least likely to become a professional speaker. My undergraduate studies was chemical engineer. So I'm a chemie. After I got into the workforce, I realized something. As much as I was trained to do my work, and I was really prepared as an engineer to go into industry, what became my competitive advantage was my ability to build relationships at work. I got things done that others couldn't just because people knew me, liked me, and trusted me. I built relationships with clients and vendors in ways that others couldn't simply because of the relationships. Now, at the beginning, it was a little challenging, but I took on the challenge of saying, I am going to approach learning relationships the way I approached learning engineering. I want to become an expert in this area. I want to figure out what makes people tick, what excites people, what turns them off, and then be able to constantly beta test it in my own life to see if it works. And that really, I started to realize I wasn't unique in this area. Most people are trained to do a job, but they're not trained how to interact with people. And in fact, quite often their natural instincts betray them. So for me, that's when I began to take on this idea of a corporate relationship expert. I knew it was something that people needed it's something I devoted myself to studying. When did you make that transition from your engineering career to now I'm going to go off and, and do what you're doing now? Yeah, there were about three other steps in between. <laughs> so I worked with nonprofit and it kind of rolls up the ranks in nonprofit. And then I realized there's one big Achilles heel with nonprofit. It's nonprofit. So then a friend of mine and I, we started a business together that went well, then went through some challenges and I realized it wasn't a good fit. And it was then that I went back and I surveyed my entire life and I said, looking at the very things I talked about a few minutes ago, but also consistently what has brought me success. And I realized it was primarily three things. It's my ability to connect the dots very quickly, my ability to communicate effectively, and my ability to build connections with people. And that's really when the transition took off. I want to go back to this idea of you're talking about engagement, people caring, but really tying it back to this idea of like people feeling seen and valued. What do you think is the disconnect between people being in a corporate role, having a job, but not feeling seen and valued in their role? Why do you think that happens? It happens for a few reasons. I think it partly happens because of corporate culture. There's just, regardless of whatever we think, people are at work to get a job done. And quite often, the job and the demands of the job and the challenges of the job overshadow the human dimension of work and the fact that we're still dealing with people. That's one. The second one, which I think is probably the biggest one, is most leaders are undertrained and underprepared to do their job. And here's what I mean. It's not their fault. Most people, they get in the workforce and they're contributors in some form or fashion. They're engineers, they're, they're manufacturing, they do, do whatever. Because they're really good at it, 
they are rewarded with a managerial or a supervisory position. But that takes a totally different skill set, completely different. And unfortunately, most organizations do not take the time and effort to really invest in people in those moments, to prepare them for that success. And so they, under the stress and duress of their leadership demands, they just do stuff and they forget that people are people. And you know, one little nuance to it is quite often people who are leaders had some form of success. And so when things don't work with those who are leading, instead of looking at themselves and saying, you know what, I've got to improve, I've got to refine the skill, they often say, something's wrong with that person because they didn't respond to my magnificent leadership. I'm saying it that way. It's funny, but that's really what we do. We begin to blame people for not responding to our leadership when quite often it's an indicator that our leadership needs improvement. And so then we begin to dehumanize them. We begin to think of them as numbers. We look down on them the wrong way instead of saying, let me invest in this person while improving myself. And that's going to pay huge dividends in the short and long term. You were talking earlier about how we sort of give these people a, a job to be done. There's tasks to accomplish and all this stuff. The words I often use to think about this is sometimes we're way too transactional in how we interact with people, how we operate, how we delegate. And we forget that one of the roles of a leader is to actually not just be transactional, like give people, divvy out the work and whatever, and hope it gets done and manage the project and whatever, but to be transformational with the people that we are working with for the people and for the team as a whole to transform the, the type of work and how we work together and hopefully transform the organizational results on the other side too, right? But there are problems here. Like a lot of this word problem is interesting because when I talk to engineers, a lot of times what they say they love to do is I love to solve problems. But how do you think about this word problem in a corporate setting that we're trying to address here? To me, problems fall in one of three categories. There's product problems, there's process problems, and there's people problems. I really focus on the people problem. And when I think of how do you define a people problem in the work environment, any issue that creates a toxic environment. And when I say toxic, so, you know, because we use toxic a lot in the workplace, when I say toxic, that means it either impacts productivity, it impacts process, or it impacts turnover. Because as much as I would love for it to happen, the idea that everyone who works together is going to be best friends and they're going to sing Kumbaya, that's just not realistic. People say, you know, our company's like a family. Have you seen a family lately? I don't even know if a lot of company would be like, but family, because you know what I mean? What we can do is get along enough to work together. And what we can do is respect and value enough to work together. That to me is really what we're trying to do. Hey, if we get more than that, that's gravy on top of the meat. It's incredible. But we have to be able to, in the moment, be able to work together for a common goal and whenever we don't do that, that's when we're having people problems. You think about product and process problems, they're often pretty measurable. We can measure defects or problems or quality things with products. We can measure process parameters. And engineers, a lot of times, are working on those things, right? 
maybe sometimes harder. I mean, you can measure attrition or retention rates. There are surveys that you can measure engagement, whatever that means for people, right? Like we talked about. But how do you, coming into an organization, doing training or speaking, or what are you, how do you measure the impact of kind of the before and after and help the organization see, hey, we've moved the needle here with some of these people problems that are harder to measure because a lot of times it's more about how people feel about where they're at and what's going on. So how do you help people do that and see the change that needs to happen and that does happen? Number one, no one calls me because everything's going great. No one says, you know what? I need to proactively make sure that everyone's doing Never happens. Normally, there's a PR nightmare. Something blew up. A survey's telling you something. Surveys are very helpful because just like you said, quantitative data is so important when we talk about people. So normally, there's something going on. The main parameters that we can see after we work with someone that have really changed, you can see increases in productivity. You can see reductions in time off. You can see reductions in formal complaints. That's actually a big one when I do government work. And you can see reductions in turnover. Those are, are the biggest indicators because like you said, it's not like you can just really walk through and say, okay, how do I actually measure engagement and whether people are fully engaged in the moment? That being said, there is one little nuance to this. I do think that we have to consider the engagement surveys and look at them from a different lens, right? If you look at Gallup's most recent data, I think they have employee engagement at like 34%, something like that, like 34, 35%. That's been up and down. I think it's gotten as high as 37. Yeehaw, 37. That's it, right? It's like in no other place in work or life would we accept that, right? No one would say- Yeah, except for like a baseball, like batting average or something like- Yeah, if you went to the doctor, the doctor said, yeah, you know, everything's great, but your heart's functioning at, you know, 34%. You can go, cool, right? You, you would expect more. And I think we've stopped expecting more. In my mind, I believe you can create environments in which 80, 90% of people are engaged. It is possible and we've seen it happen. But then it takes this holistic shift in what's valuable. People are valuable. How am I going to focus? How am I going to make these tough decisions? There are going to be some people who are really effective at work and are incredibly toxic. What tough decision am I going to make with that person? These things have to happen so that you can actually get these measurable outputs. One of the big things when we're talking about people feeling seen, and we talk about seen and that's, that's often the word we use, but we might also feel or say people want to feel heard and understood. One of the big pieces to that, obviously, is not just looking, being able to see people physically, but also really listen to them. What role do you see listening playing in all of this when we're trying to solve some of these people problems and some of the other problems that organizations face? Number one, when it comes to actual conflict, if you've ever been married in a long-term relationship, you know that whatever the issue being argued about is not the real issue, right? There's all of these underlying issues, and this is really just the tipping point that's showing right now. And yet that, that can really trip people up if they focus on what appears to be the issue versus what the real issue is. So in those moments, it's really important to be to ask questions and to really listen and to listen to what people say are the real triggers because people will begin to tell you in that way, but you have to pay close attention. 
I think on a grander scale, here's where listening pays uh, big dividends. Organizations or organizational problems don't just come out of nowhere, right? They go kind of DEFCON 1, DEFCON 2, DEFCON 3. They work their way up. They give you indicators. And if you're listening, you can catch the problems when they're small and they're not really problems. That's a proactive way of identifying it and dealing with it. The challenge is, is number one, sometimes we're so busy or we just don't want to think about it that we don't deal with it. We hear it, we see it, and we ignore it. Maybe it's not real. Maybe it's not what I wanted to see or wanted to hear. And the thing about that is, even if we're not talking about it or not willing to talk about it, it still is affecting our organization and affecting our team. And so it's really important that we hear this from the early parts. The second, and this is a real challenge when you get higher up in leadership, especially in the C-suite, the primary people that you're getting feedback from are the people that have your ear. But that's not necessarily a good indicator of what's really going on. Often they share your ideals and their your perspective. That can actually end up being fool's gold where you think it's valuable, but it's not a real thing. It's not what you really need. You need to think, why do they have my ear? More importantly, who doesn't have my ear? Because that's really where the issues are. It's people that don't have access or don't feel that they have access to you. When you get to those degrees of separation, when you can start getting your, your, your hands on that, that's where the power comes. So that's where the listening comes in. That's why you often hear you know, pulse surveys and all these surveys, which are really important because you're trying to get this feedback. You have to get feedback from outside of your echo chamber. And that takes a lot of extra listening and extra work. And you know the thing about it is it's extra work that we often don't feel we have time to do, but it's critical for us to be effective. Yeah. And that's interesting. You're talking about like the higher level leaders and they're kind of in their own echo chamber. Makes me also think of there's another issue at play sometimes is that power dynamic, right? Like do people not feel safe to actually share what the issue is with those higher leaders, whether that's their direct boss or a multiple layer of separation, like a C-level person. And so what role that feeling safe play in, in this issue? And also we're trying to conquer bias. Like I only want to see what I want to see, right? So what do you think about some of these issues? It's huge, right? And the thing about safety in a power dynamic is it has to be proven. Most of us have been in situations where, you know, our boss goes to a, a leadership seminar, a management seminar, and they come back and they say, you know, uh, what can I do better? You're like, I am not the one for that. I've been that guy. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you, know, you know, and it's always with good intention, but sometimes you're like, if I say this, are they really emotionally ready to hear it? And once that trust has been betrayed, it's hard to get back. And it's it's hard to even earn sometimes as a leader. I mean, it, it takes a lot of emotional stamina. And so you hit on something so special, Jeff, that we don't talk about. We as leaders have to be constantly aware of that power dynamic so that now we can become more approachable. We can become more safe. And we realize that's going to even take time but that is something, if I earn that from people, the amount of information that I will get is mind-blowing. A really quick example. In my hometown of Kalamazoo, Michigan, there is an issue of police bias that had been going on. And so they hired a specialist to come in and work with the police and, and really instill this idea of community policing. And this is not 
a political statement. This is just something that I thought was a fascinating that happened, right? All of a sudden, the police started just building relationships with the community and in communities of different socioeconomic, you know, backgrounds or levels. And a fascinating thing started to happen after the police officers that built trust people. The community would just tell them what's going on. Oh, you want to know who's a troublemaker? That guy over there. Or you want to know, you know, before they wouldn't talk to the police because they didn't trust them. But now all of a sudden, when they saw the police as an asset and an ally, they just began to, oh, you know, here's what would help us. You know, be aware of this. We'll keep you in tune in communication when something happens and everything turned. Same thing happens with, as leaders. When we build that type of trust, when we become community leaders, almost in that sense, we get access to so much information and it takes people who were our adversaries and turns them into our allies. On a personal note, sometimes we just need some sort of catalyst moment as a leader to increase that awareness, be like, oh, there's something that needs to change. In my early days, my first role as a as an engineering leader, I was doing my best trying to, you know, put on the best hats and, and take care of the team as best as I knew how to do at that time. But I went through a process and did one of those 360 degree surveys, right? And it was anonymous. I had about 12 people that surveyed me, you know, people who were uh, senior to me, people who were peers, and then certainly my direct team that I was managing at the time. And there was a very clear pattern that emerged in those surveys is that Jeff doesn't listen. Jeff has an idea, he wants to do it and doesn't really take other things into account. We bring up an issue and not really taking care of that stuff. And that was against what I wanted to be true and what I thought I was doing. But for whatever reason, I wasn't creating the culture and the environment where they could actually feel safe to share that with me. It needed to come anonymously, but it was a catalyst which then allowed me to have some more frank conversations and, and be more open to really hearing and listening to them to the point that in all of our team areas and on my laptop and everywhere I went, I put a sticky note that said, listen, and I put other things. And I asked them to hold me accountable like, hey, if I'm not listening. And over time they did, it was really cool to be like, hey, Jeff, right now you're not listening. And I'm like, okay. And I validated them stepping up like I had asked them to do to call me out when I needed that. But it took time to make that shift and start building that trust that they could actually call me out and that I was truly listening, that I was really changing for them in that way. So sometimes we just need some sort of catalyst to increase that awareness so that we can really move forward together in some of those ways. Number one, that's a great story and you know, bravo to you because unfortunately, when many people get that feedback, they don't have the same response. And the fact that you had the response of saying, wait a second, this is not what I want to project. This is not what I want to communicate. Let me take some actionable steps and let me stick with it, even when it's uncomfortable. That's huge. And unfortunately, it's not the norm. I wish it was and we want to make it the norm, but that's huge. Now, I appreciate you sharing that. I know you wrote a book called The Force Multiplier. I want to understand a little bit more about what that's about. And in talking to engineers and engineering leaders here, how do you feel like the principles in there can help them transform teams into high-performance teams and units. Quick story about the force multiplier and how it got its name. I was with a close friend, and I do mean close friend, who I found out was being once again deployed to Afghanistan. And so we 
had a party for him. It was a going away party. It was a we'll take care of you party. It was going to stay in touch party. And so, you know, we ate, we drank, we laughed. And there was a point in time which we went around the room and we all shared. And there was a person I was waiting to hear from because he'd been to a lot of what he coined these deployment parties before. Now, he's a high-ranking officer. He's actually now a colonel in the Army. And what he said blew me away because he said, you know, you're what I call a force multiplier because by your very presence, you bring out the best in everyone and everything around you. And I was floored. I'd never heard that before because often when people define leadership, they take one small facet, you know, leaders make other leaders, leaders have followers, leaders turn the ship. But rarely did I hear people say, because a leader is there, everyone's better. I went back and I thought, that's what leadership in its essence needs to be, is a leader's role is to free everyone up and make them better so that they can do what they couldn't do if that leader wasn't there. And so that was the essence of this idea of a force multiplier. And the idea behind the book, there's really two ideas. One is the idea of making sure that people are seen, like I said. But number two, because at that time, I had pretty much traveled the country speaking about leadership and teaching and training and the whole thing. And I saw some very consistent patterns. And what was interesting is the same patterns that were there for entry-level leaders were there for senior-level leaders. There were just some foundational things that I said, we got to be able to address these. And so basically, I approached the book as though it was a train. There is some theory in it, but it's really a how-to book. How do you lead people? How do you understand personalities? How do you delegate? It's all the things that I wish someone had trained me when I first failed at leadership because my first time was a mess, right? I had to go back and really learn. And you know, in retrospect, that's going to happen, especially when you haven't been trained, you don't understand things. And so that's the idea behind the book and the concept of the force multiplier is leadership is an art and a science. And if you look at the science part of it, there are some very foundational things that we all need to do that will help us become better leaders and they'll help us become better leaders at every level of leadership we can be in. Tony, this has been such a fun conversation so far. At this point, we're going to transition to our Take Action Today segment of the show where we'll get one final piece of actionable advice for our listeners. We'll be right back with that segment. Now it's time for our Take Action Today segment of the show. Tony, we talked about a number of different things, and one of the things we talked earlier on was about the idea of engagement. Now, for those of our audience who are listening who are trying to improve the engagement in themselves, in their teams, in their organizations, what would you give them to do to improve that engagement? In every interaction, and this sounds simple, remember you're dealing with human beings. I say this because quite often we do things because of the way we've already always done it or it's the way it should be done. But here's an example. Two things I often teach. I say, you know, you have to deal with poor performance when it happens and poor attitudes. And you should give recognition when people do a great job. Because we normally, we focus on one but not the other. But here's what happens. For most of us, we have employees who are really high performers, right? 
they can just do more. They have a higher capacity than others. So what do we do? We give them more to do, right? Because they have the capacity. But think about what I just said. We're literally punishing them for being good. And unless we go back and say, okay, I'm going to give you this, but I'm going to communicate this in a way. I'm going to make sure there's other recognition. There's other perks. There's something. If not, they will feel like you're punishing me. And I've seen this over and over again. And the end result ends up being your high performers are no longer high performers because we forgot that they were people. So just remember that they're people and think about how would you feel in this moment? Not that you're always the benchmark, but it'll help you to humanize every interaction. Tony, such a fun conversation. Thanks so much for being on the show. If people are interested in connecting with you, learning more about your work or your book or anything, where would you point them? Sure. The first thing I'd say is go to my website. If you could spell my name, Tony Chapman, C-H-A-T is in Tom, M-A-N, TonyChapman.com has links to all my social media, has links to my book on Amazon, uh, my speaking engagements, all of that stuff. That's really the HQ of everything is at TonyChapman.com. Thanks so much for being here. We look forward to uh, connecting some more and wish you nothing but continued success in all the work that you do. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for having me, Jeff. This was a fantastic conversation. I hope you enjoyed the episode today. We would love to hear your feedback, comments, and questions. You can go to engineeringmanagementinstitute.org where you'll find a summary of the key points discussed in the episode as well as links to any of the resources or websites that we mentioned during the episode. And don't forget to check out any upcoming live webinars for this month at the website as well. Additionally, for any engineers who feel like they need extra help taking the next career step or finding clarity in their careers, I've created some free training resources with an opportunity to join a more intensive program called the Engineering Career Accelerator. You can find more information at engineeringcareeraccelerator.com or you can go grab my career clarity checklist found at www.engineeringcareeraccelerator.com slash career clarity. Until next time, I wish you the best in all of your engineering endeavors. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to download the latest version of our AE Industry Trends Report to get answers to the questions that you want to ask your staff, but you may be afraid to do so. How long will the great resignation last? How long should you allow employees to work remotely? And how are successful firms using data to grow sustainably for the long term? You can learn the answers to these questions and more by downloading the report at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org.